it's such a privilege to be able to come and share with you today and um, just overwhelmed by the welcome and I don't recognize myself at all when people talk about me I really don't and if my wife's listening at home she certainly doesn't recognize the people they're talking about lovely to have RT with us and um, if someone could make sure he has a notepad and pencil you may need to this could be a new book RT what I'm speaking this morning <laughs> And I don't want you to miss out on it because there'll be a fortune, there'll be an absolute fortune on that one. If you have your Bible, please, I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 7. I'd like to speak to you, if I may, on the, the healing of the centurion's servant. And uh, it's really good. Getting to know some of you a little over the times we visit. Appreciate that. And the team are second to none in hospitality and care and... Lyndon and Celia have been friends for many years. I'm just amazed that he's uh, got out of bed to come to church. It's just amazing. That's great. So we're in Luke chapter 7. When Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant whom his master valued highly was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some of the elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation. He has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and to that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. I need to pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you for your word that is available to us. And I thank you for the freedom we have, not only to read it, but to preach it. And I ask, Lord, now that what I say may, will not be um, important, but it's what you say that will bear much fruit in coming days. So bless your word, I pray, Lord. Amen. 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 This is a, a very, I, one of my favourite portions of scripture, and that's probably why I've return to it today it begins when Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people he entered Capernaum I often wonder whether Luke put that in just to remind us that Jesus's ministry was not just for the crowds he preached to the crowds but now we move from the crowds to an individual who came with a need and sometimes in our world and demographics we're being labeled we've been put into groups and we can somehow feel maybe a little bit insignificant as far as this world is concerned. Well, that may well be the case, but we are not insignificant as far as God is concerned. And we find that having preached to the crowds, he now moves into this particular chapter, and there's a centurion, and then a little later the widow of Nain's son is raised, and he's dealing one-to-one -one with needs. So there are things that God's going to say to a church, and there'll be things that God will say to an individual. And it's not beyond God, the Holy Spirit, to come and minister to individuals and say a word to a whole church, and I believe even to a nation. 
So Luke begins this by reminding us that he'd preached to the crowds and now we find that an individual is coming to him. It says there a centurion servant whom his master valued highly was sick and about to die. In that verse we are given a, a fair bit of information about this person. We're not told their name, that's not important. We know first of all that he was probably a Gentile because he was a Roman centurion. He may well have been Italian, but there's some controversy with commentators whether he was Italian or not. But he was certainly a military man. He was part of the occupying army. So on the natural level, he wouldn't have been very popular. He wouldn't be thought of highly. And so he was military. We know from what he says that he also had some substantial income or wealth because of the things that he did. So Luke's telling us this military man, this person who's part of the occupying army, comes to Jesus and it tells us there that he had a servant who was, first of all, it says they're sick and about to die. So this was a 999 situation. This wasn't like visiting your doctor, you ring up the surgery, they say, I'd like to see a doctor, and they say to you, what are you doing in October? <laughs> or if you're private, what are you doing in September? You know, it's not one of those cases. It really had to be done quickly. He was about to die. So we have here a military man who had compassion. It says he valued his servant highly. I'd hate to think it was just because he was a good servant. I'd like to think that this man had a relationship with the servant and he wanted him to be well, not just for his own good, but for the man's good as well. So he was not living to type. He was caring he was understanding and he obviously had a level of faith because he sent the elders of the Jews to speak to Jesus. So there in verse 2, a centurion servant whom his master had was sick and about to die. So what was his answer to this? I don't doubt that certain medical things had been done. I expect doctors had been called, etc. But the situation was getting worse. And so what he did was this, it says there, the centurion heard of Jesus and sent some of the elders of the Jews to him. I love that phrase, the centurion heard of Jesus. Can you remember when you first heard about Jesus? I can, I was living in Northolt, a man there called Alan Hill uh, invited me to church. He told me it was a party, but it wasn't, it was a youth outreach. But there we are, you start off as you mean to go on. And um, I went and I heard there for the first time something I'd never heard before. I'd heard that God loved the world. That was not news to me. I'd heard it in school, I'd heard it in wherever. But I heard there for the first time that God loved me. That's the big difference, you know. Don't stop at Jesus loves the world. You need to get to the point where Jesus loves you. That's the important part. The world, yeah, but you're the one who needs him. The world, well, we'll sort that one out later. But that's the important part. And it was Alan Hill and a group of others in that church in South Harrow, Full Gospel Church, Thames of God, where I first heard. But it was Alan who first heard. So if you said to me, where did you first hear the gospel? I'd have to use Alan's name. And it would be lovely if he was listening to this, but I'm sure he's not. But it would be lovely to honour him in that way. When did you first hear about Jesus? Maybe it was on radio, I don't know. Maybe it was your parents. Maybe you came to church. I, I don't know. But... Wouldn't you like to be the first person that tells someone about Jesus? You know, evangelism and personal evangelism is a challenge in our society today. People aren't, you know, waking up with a desire to know how to be saved. And, you know, some of us are extrovert and some of us can talk, etc. And for me, talking isn't a, a spiritual gift. You know that, don't you? It's 100% flesh. I can talk in my sleep. 
I can talk when I'm awake. I said in the first service that when I was born, I was telling the midwife what to do. <laughs> so it's not a spiritual gift. But some of you are a bit shyer than I am. So why don't we make this prayer? Lord, if you open the door during this week for me to share my faith, I will. Now, wouldn't you want to walk through a door Jesus opened? Now, you might not be able to go up to people and talk to them and initiate it, but why not? Say, Lord, every day, just say, Lord, if you open the door, I'll walk through it. Now, you're going to be prepared to do it. If you're not prepared to do it, don't, because you'll just, you know, just, just not be right. A bit of theological problem running through my brain then. But, you know, it really is important. And someone, this centurion, heard about Jesus. How? From the Jewish elders? Mm, I doubt it. From other soldiers who'd maybe been guarding the crowd? I, I don't know. But the main thing is, this guy had heard about Jesus. And when it came down to it, when there was no one else to turn to, he thought, I'm going to send representation to Jesus. Now, it was a, a good thing that he did this. It tells us he sent elders of the Jews to him. Well, maybe he thought, well, I'm a Gentile, I'm a military man. Um, I, I now know that he believed that. But maybe he just thought Jesus was a rabbi or a, or, or a teacher. Um, later on, I hope I can prove to you that he thought a lot more than that. So the etiquette was probably send the elders of the Jews. Maybe he thought that would maybe impress Jesus, or at least there was a courtesy in it in sending these elders to the Jews, uh, elders of the Jews to Jesus. So they did. It says there he sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. Now that was all they were asked to do. They were not asked to do anything else. It was quite simple: go and ask Jesus to come and heal my servant. Simple. Even I could get that right. But they didn't. They began to add to it something that wasn't supposed to be there, was not in their commission. So when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly. They were not asked to plead earnestly. They said to him, this man deserves you to do this because I love our nation and has built our synagogue. So what these elders of the Jews decided to do was they thought they'd try and present a case why Jesus should do this thing for this centurion. And they came back to very simple things. He's built a synagogue, it's obviously generous, and he loves our nation, which probably means that he was an proselyte. he was a Gentile who had joined the Jewish faith. Even if he wasn't, he was sympathetic to Israel, and as part of the occupying army, there were very few and far between. As you know, a centurion was given the responsibility of crucifying our Lord. So the whole thing changes. They don't just come and say, Look, you know, would you mind coming? They said, we've got to present a case. Because they'd come from a world of works and religion and the rest of it, and, you know, death to the lot of it, to be quite honest. They came and they said, listen, we feel you should do this. Now, in modern language, this is what they said. He wrote a dirty great big check and built our synagogue. And if you do this, you never know, he might write another one. That was what it's about. They thought that to get Jesus to do something for the centurion, they had to prove that the centurion had done something for God. It is wrong. You cannot do anything that will enable God to move on your behalf. He moves on your behalf because he loves you. <laughs> End of story. And the minute you add a synagogue to it, you, de you detract from the love of God. 
You detract from his mercy and his grace. Because friends, let's be quite blunt. If building synagogues meant that you got your prayers answered, there's only a few people in this room who have the money to build a synagogue so only their prayers would be answered. Am I right? And that God would never bring his mercy and his grace down to the bank balance. So these elders of the Jews were wrong. They should not have done it. They weren't asked to do it. The man said no. And they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserved to do this because he loves our nation. Now Jesus went with them. I wonder, did he go with them because he was impressed by that? I don't think so. I think he went with them because there was a man who was dying. The great thing about God is he can walk through all our complications, all our thoughts. He is not inhibited. Just because we might have the wrong theology doesn't mean to say God still can't move. We have wrong ideas and different thoughts. But God, Jesus, went with them because there was a man in need. And so if you're sitting there thinking, what must I do to get God to answer my prayers? Let me tell you, friends, you can't do anything. But we should give. And we should love Israel in that sense. We should do good works, not because we want God to move, but because we are his children, it's what God wants. So this isn't a plea for you never to give to God. No, no, this is a plea for you to continue to give to God because you're part of his family, part of God's purposes, as part of God's plan. But don't think for one moment, big checks bring big blessings. The story of the, wi- uh, the widow and the, the widow's might throws that one straight out the window. Now I've got time, maybe sometime I might speak, speak on that one. So there's the situation. The centurion servant is very ill. The, um, the elders come, they overstep the mark. They bring a lot of religion and works into it. And that part. So in verse six, we says there, so Jesus went with them. May I just have some water? I know this is fresh because I emptied the first one this morning at nine. Thank you. Never put that out. Thank you. So Jesus went them not far from the house. It says the centurion's friend said to him, Ah, different group, different deputation. The first group were elders of the Jews who old sorry, who held some official position. Now he sent his friends. Now, I don't know whether he was disappointed or maybe the friends were at the house, which is probably more the case, but he sent them. Now, they reported exactly what the centurion asked them to do. They didn't add to it. They didn't take away. They did what they were told to do. And this is what the centurion says. They said, this is what they say to him, this. Lord, don't trouble yourself. Wow. He did want to trouble him to get, he wanted him to come. He said, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, That is why I did not consider myself worthy for you to come to me. So the Jewish elders said, this man is worthy, this man deserves. Am I right? The man's opinion of himself was, I don't deserve and I'm not worthy. He was further on spiritually than they were. He was a centurion, he was a a Gentile, and here he was sorting out, his theology, his understanding of God's purposes were well in advance of the Jewish elders. And he says, I'm not worthy. So their opinion of him was, he is worthy, he does deserve. His opinion of himself was, I don't deserve. Now who got it right? The centurion did. Because we never deserve anything from God. Even on your best day, you're not worthy. 
Even on the day you sin less. Let's all agree to sin less next week. You'll never be sinless. I don't believe that. If Colin believes something different, he can correct it when I'm not here. You know, you'll never be sinless, but we can sin less, can't we? Let's all commit one sin next week less than we did last week, and that will make you holier. Probably bring revival, you know. (laughs) There we are. I digress. He said, Lord, don't trouble me, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not consider myself worthy to come to you. He had the right understanding. The communion table reminds us that we are not worthy. It's God's grace and it's God's mercy. That doesn't mean to say we can't ask, we can't plead, we can't seek. Well, of course we do all of that. But it's on the basis of grace and it's on the basis of mercy. So if you're waiting to get holy enough, it ain't going to happen. You're never going to be holy enough for God to move. Now, should we be more holy? Of course. Because that's the will of God for us to live and be more like Christ. But it's not a, I will do this and you do that. And so he corrects the balance. The friends come with a correct understanding. I'm not worthy. I don't deserve. Then he goes on, not even to come under my roof. Which, of course, when he was a Gentile, Jesus was at the minimum a rabbi. He was more, of course. But maybe that was part of the culture, his understanding of where he stood. I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Now, that sounds like it's all over. Don't come. I mean, up to this point, and I stand to be corrected, most of the times of, of healing in this situation would have been Jesus' personal contact or even the laying on of hands. But now something unusual, something new was opening up. Something was being stretched. This centurion was stretching things here because he turns around and says, for I myself am under a man under authority. In fact, previously he said, say the word and my servant will be healed. This man believed that Jesus didn't have to lay hands on the sick. This man believed Jesus didn't have to be in that town or in the room or in the whatever. He said, listen, you say the word and it'll happen. And then he goes on to give a reason why he believed that. He said, I'm a centurion. I say to my soldiers, go, and he goes, come, and he comes, and the rest of it, I say to my servants, do it. He starts to speak about authority. He starts to speak. Caesar said to him, go to Palestine and sort those Jews out. And off he went to Palestine to sort the Jews out. That would have been how probably Caesar thought of them. Sort them out. They're always a troublesome lot. Go down there. And he did as he was told. Caesar said it. It happened. He says it, his soldiers, it happens. His servant, he tells his servant, it happens. And he said, that's why I believe you don't even have to come to my house because I've never met Caesar, I've never seen him, I'm never going to, and if he had any sense, he never wanted to. But he said the word. And immediately, this takes Jesus, forgive me, I'm not being irreligious here. It takes him from, he's not a rabbi. He's not an elder of the Jews. He's not a prophet. He's saying, you're God. You're God. Only God could speak and things happen like that. Only God. And he's leaving behind the Jewish house. He's leaving even the disciples behind. This guy's soaring in his understanding. And he's saying, send the word. And the whole basis was that he knew what authority was. Do this and he does it. Jesus, I know who you are. I've got some problems. 
I'm not worthy. I don't deserve to have you even come under my roof. I don't deserve you even to come into the house and lay hands on my sick servant. I don't, no, please. But then it's not a problem. He solves the problem by saying, why am I talking about that? Say the word. Now, my wife may be watching this, so I have to be very careful. Every married man here will know that when the word is said, you do it, don't you? <laughs> I have a tom-tom in my car, the, the sat navigation. I have a woman's voice because I'm programmed to obey. <laughs> Her name is Jane. I don't know who she is, but, you know, she's been giving me orders for years. Turn left, turn right. The rest of it, you know, programmed, you know, to obey. Do you know I'm not going to get any meal when I get home now? <laughs> if this could be edited, I'd be very grateful. And it's the same. He said, you just say it and it will happen. Well, moving on, time is moving. I've had plenty of time, by the way. Well, there's going to be a response from Jesus, isn't there? That you can't have this this unbelievable statement about the deity of Christ without some response. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. Wow! Not amazed at the elders or the Jews. No, he was amazed at this centurion, this military man who'd probably taken human life in battle and who'd got to the ranks because he was a loyal servant of Caesar and all, all that went with it and maybe came to faith with Jehovah when he came to Israel. We don't know all his story. But it says when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. I wonder if Jesus has ever been amazed at you or me. He's been startled by me many a time, but I don't know about amazed. He was amazed at him. Now, what was he amazed about? That he'd built a synagogue? That's like building a church. We're talking today, even a very modest church, hundreds of thousands of pounds. And this guy wrote a check and so did he say, I am amazed at his generosity? No, no mention of it. Or I'm amazed about how kind he's been to Israel and how we have a friend in the military to help protect us. No mention of it. The things that sometimes impress us, status and uh, other things, even wealth, we can, oh, look. None of it with Jesus. None of it. It says, and when he heard him, he said, he said I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. It was his faith that amazed Jesus. His faith, not his money, not his background, not his testimony, not his story. But here was a man who had faith to believe that the carpenter's son could say something and it would happen in another place. And what an indictment. I have not found such faith even in Israel. I don't think there was such faith even in the disciples. And if I'd been a disciple, I'd have been no better. So I'm not criticising them. This man soared. He understood the principle that Jesus is God. And if he sends the word, it will happen. And it tells him, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. You see, friends, that's the great, the exciting thing about this portion. It gives us all an opportunity. You may not have the resources to build a synagogue. You may not have the resources to do this. There might, you might be here and you say, Gordon, I've got, I'm not very gifted, I'm not very talented. I'm not. It really doesn't matter, friend. This is the best news you're here today. 
It, now that England are out of the World Cup, <laughs> if they were still in it, it might be the second, no, it would be the first best news ever. Any people here from Croatia? Good. Now, <laughs> that's good, because we, we, we're going to give you your offering back and ask you to leave. <laughs> ask you to leave. Well, I don't know about the offering back. I, I should check that with the senior pastor first. But anyway, are we going for France or who are we going for, Ukraine? France? Russia. Ukraine? Russia. Who said Russia? <laughs> you want to you get... Well, do you know what? Who's bothered? No, I'm not bothered who wins, really. Viva la France. Anyway, we'll leave it there. Leave it there. Leave it there. No, I got, dis that was there. I, I got distracted then. And then, what happened then? Well, very simple. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house without Jesus. He was told, don't bother coming. So he didn't. Jesus didn't do it. Didn't do it. And when they got back there, they found an ambulance there. No, they didn't find an ambulance. They didn't find a doctor there at all. They found very simple. They found the servant well. It's amazing. Can I just repeat that? They found the servant well. Praise God. The very thing that the centurion believed could happen that, dare I say, had never happened before, and RT will correct me on that one, I've got that one wrong, never happened before, happened that Jesus, I don't even know if he said the word. There's no record that he turned around and said to them now. Um, it just makes me smile. Do you know, if Jesus thinks it, it happens. He doesn't have to say it. We have to make a positive confession. God is a positive confession. His very nature and his very truth is this. And here we have this situation where this man understood that it, when it comes to God moving, it's got nothing to do with our bank balance, it's got nothing to do with our church attendance, it's got nothing, what, they're all important. And as a pastor, I'll tell you what, I'll preach my socks off to encourage every one of them. But it's the fact of faith. How much faith do you have? Um, I was sharing the first service. When I first became a Christian, um, I found it very challenging. Uh, do you know what? I still find being a Christian a challenge. The temptations have just changed. Um, and the energy levels have dropped. But the challenges are, are just there. It's a, it's, a, it's a lifetime of discipleship. You know that, don't you? You know it's not going to get any easier. You're in for the long haul, friends. Every day you've got to die. It doesn't get better. You think, oh, I've retired now. Sin will go. Let me tell you, it doesn't. It just goes grey. <laughs> it goes grey. Sin is still sin in that way. And I remember going to my home church and I used to get off the bus. I used to get the bus from Northolk to South Harrow. And I'd get off the bus and walk up by the side of South Harrow, a railway station underground. And we only had one poster. My pastor was ex-brethren. He got put out of the brethren when he got baptised in the spirit. And he only had one poster outside the church. And it was very old fashioned now. And we, it just said, have faith in God. That's all it said. So when you're walking up as a teenager, just giving your life to Jesus. And you, before you get in church, you've been told to have faith in God. It's the right message to have. Have faith in God. You're going through difficult times. Have faith in God. 
That doesn't mean to say you, you throw all sense to the wind if you're not well. Of course you may go to the doctor. Of course you can do it if you're facing financial challenges. Yes, you do have to look at your budgeting and all the rest of it goes on with it. We don't throw our brains out. But in the midst of all of that, we say, I trust in you, Lord. I trust in you. The family of the bereaved, that were, uh, the, the bereaved family we spoke about, they've got to trust in God. It's there. I remember when I, um, some years ago, um, in reading scripture, and I find that God speaks to me so much through scripture. God speaks to us in different ways. For some, it's very much through the prophetic. For some, it's through scripture. For me, it's scripture. And I can remember saying to Kay, my wife, I kept coming across verses, and I don't read the Psalms a lot, but I, um, I should, but I don't. It's all a bit touchy-feely for me, really. <laughs> but anyway, um, it kept saying, trust in me, trust in me. And I said to Kay, I said, I think we're in for some trouble. Who said, you don't normally talk like that. I said, well, every time I pick my Bible, I've got to tell me to trust in him. And we did. We had two bereavements in the space of days. My father at 52 and Kay's sister as a, a young woman leaving a 10-year-old behind. It was horrendous. Horrendous. And I just said to Kay, do you remember his word? Trust in me. And what a comfort that was to us to know that before these things happened, God reminded us to trust, and it was a help. Please read your Bibles. Please read your Bibles. If we all read our Bibles twice as much as we are now, and it's lovely to see in the, uh, your magazine there's a, 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 a Bible reading plan there. Read your Bibles. God will speak to you, not every day, but things will come to you, and God will speak to you, and you can sort your life out. And you can, I'd much rather God spoke to me in private than public, wouldn't you? You know, the thing, if I said to you today, in this service, and, you know, I'll try not to mimic, you know, there's someone here today who's a rotter. You'd say, I know who that is. But if you're reading your Bible on your own and God said there's a rotter here, and you look around, (laughs) what? It's you. And I'd rather God speak to me on my own, wouldn't you? and tell the world I'm a rotter. But then I don't need you to know that. You've already worked that one out. So have faith in God. It started out with a deputation saying, he deserves this. He's worthy. That was their opinion. The man's opinion was, I don't deserve. That was the right opinion. And the result was, Jesus was impressed. He was amazed because of his faith. Friends, may I encourage you to trust God more. Read scripture more. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It can't do you any harm to read scripture. It's building up your faith. And when that cold wind blows, you will have scriptures in your back pocket. You'll have that trust in me card to pull out and say, he told me. He shared with me beforehand what we needed to do. Please, if you want to write a cheque, we'd love to receive it. Be in no doubt about it. But we will deal with it and handle it with the highest of integrity. But please, it won't bring about a healing. Please, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, don't wait till you're good enough to come to Jesus. Let me cheer you up. You'll never be good enough to come to Jesus. That's why he died for you. We have a God who cares He can send 
the word. He can speak and it will. I don't know why it's a surprise. We go into Genesis and he spoke. And this world, this creation came about. And the same God of Genesis and the same God of Luke 7 is the same God that says to you, trust me, believe in me. I will move on your behalf because I love you and I care for you. And if he doesn't answer our prayers in the way we want, then it's because he knows and has something better for us. Because our following discipleship is not based upon his answers to my prayers. My faith and discipleship is based upon the cross where he gave himself for a rotter like me. And I'll trust that cross till I see him face to face. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for the kind attention these folk have given to your word. I pray that you will bless them. It's a very warm day and they've listened so well. I pray, Lord, for those that need a word. May they have faith to invite you to speak into their life now and to minister. Whether it's healing or guidance or whatever it is, Lord, may they have faith to do it. May they know this that they'll never be good enough. The only unknown is this, is our level of faith. We need to trust you more and believe you more. And we thank you for your grace and your mercy. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.